0: Hi, this is John Leahy, host of Airing It Out, files from Leahy's broadcast booth. I wanted to take a moment and thank you for tuning in to the podcast on a weekly basis. I truly appreciate my great audience. I'd also like to encourage you to consider subscribing to the podcast. We're on Apple and Spotify and virtually any place where podcasts are heard. So if you like the content, please consider subscribing. I appreciate it once again. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope you'll enjoy this week's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of Airing It Out, Files from Leahy's Broadcast Booth. John Leahy with you, delighted to have you along for the podcast this week. And uh, I want to just start by thanking my guest from last week. We had uh, Dan Rusanowski the radio voice of the NHL San Jose Sharks. It was a pleasure having Dan with us once again. And we talked about his uh, reception of the Foster Hewitt Award and uh, many other topics. So hope you had a chance uh, to check that out. Uh, If you'd like to check out that episode or any other episode we've done, please head on over to LeahyStorytelling.com. That's the podcast uh, website we have. It is there. You will find a blog, which I'm going to update very soon. There's uh, some videos up there as well for you to check out. You can also rate a particular episode from zero to five stars, and uh, you can also leave a written review. There's also a voice messaging system. There's a purple microphone at the lower right-hand corner of each page. If you'd like to send me a voice message, I encourage you to do so. Uh, please also check out my updated website. It's johnrlahy.com. The podcast links directly to the website, and please uh, consider subscribing if you like the content as we are on uh, any Major area that the uh, podcasts are heard. Uh, quick note before we get started with the podcast today. Uh, next couple of weeks, I just want to give you. Uh, an update of what we're going to be having on. Next week, we are going to have a Hockey East men's preview as the Hockey East season gets underway. Uh, We're going to preview Hockey East, all 11 teams. Uh, My colleague at Merrimack, Mike Macknick, will be joining me along with uh, a couple of other hockey correspondents, Ian Beauchene, who works at Merrimack, and also Mike McMahon from College Hockey News. So that should be a terrific episode. And the following week, I am going to do a musical tribute to Jimmy Buffett. Jimmy just passed away, of course, uh, this past weekend. uh, Very sad. And, uh, of course, anyone who knows me knows uh, my love for uh, Jimmy's music. So, in two weeks, we're going to have a tribute episode to Jimmy Buffett. As for today, it is a great pleasure and a privilege to bring back a gentleman who we've had on the podcast before. Uh, If you've listened, you know that this gentleman helped me out with a three-part episode in which we looked at classic NHL arenas. It is the highest uh, listened episodes that I've done here on the podcast. It is such a tremendous pleasure to bring back the former radio voice of the Hartford Whalers and the Carolina Hurricanes, Hall of Famer Chuck Caton. Chuck, thanks so much for being with us. It's always great having you here. Well, you know, that was a a very
1: fun and nostalgic trip back into uh, those past arenas, John, and it was my pleasure to be with you. I I really enjoyed it uh, and all the arenas that uh, we discussed, so that was a fun episode. I'm glad uh, a lot of people were able to enjoy that, and I also uh, uh, pass along my condolences to you and all of the great Jimmy Buffett fans around the world uh, because he was quite an entertainer. And uh, uh, he changed my attitude at uh, the different latitudes of uh, myself <laughs> that I used to fly. So uh, uh, he, it was all fun music. I enjoyed it myself. I, I have Sirius XM in my car, and the Jimmy Buffett station was uh, part and parcel of my uh, listening hours in my automobile. So uh, we're going to miss him. Uh, he's one of a kind. And there's a guy that truly enjoyed life, as you'll probably agree, John.
0: Absolutely, Chuck. And how do you pick uh, enough songs uh, to fill up 50 minutes? I mean, the, guy, the guy's the guy been writing music for 50 years. How do you pick a small sampling of songs to get into a one-hour episode? That's what I'm like. Uh... I don't know. Yeah.
1: I, I, you know, I, I know that you're, muse- you're going to do him very proudly, I think, too, when you have this tribute for him because uh, – uh, a talented musician as you are, I'm sure you're going to, uh, you may play every song, you never know, it could take <laughs> a couple hours, right? I mean, uh, uh, you're right, uh, 50 years of it, and uh, just terrific music, it's just happy music, I just love it. Uh, I've never been to Key West, I've never been to his restaurant, but I can imagine what it was like, uh, I know my son was there with my daughter-in-law a couple years ago, yeah. drove all the way down, and uh, they enjoyed it quite a bit, so great uh yeah we'll miss mr buffett and uh uh hopefully uh warren buffett won't follow him too soon
0: absolutely Another guy that i like yeah absolutely well uh last point on jimmy i i'm happy to say i saw him in concert 3 times so that's uh you know, as long as I got to see him in person, that's uh, that, that's good enough for me. So, Chuck, uh, we're going to talk some hockey broadcasting today. And uh, the first thing I want to talk to you about is the recent induction of Dan Rusanowski, uh into the Hockey Hall of Fame and also uh, him receiving the Foster Hewitt Award. We had Dan on last week, and he was very humbled by the award. Now, I know you won the award, and uh, it was, I'm sure, quite an honor for you. Now, you, you also are in the position now where uh, you're calling broadcast to inform them that they've won the award. So how much uh, how gratifying is it for you to be able to call these broadcasters and tell them that they've won and what was the experience for you when you won it?
1: Well, as far as uh, calling uh, the broadcasters, that's one of the most delightful days of my life when I uh, am given the green light by the Hockey Hall of Fame to uh, to call uh, our honoree every year. It's it's a phone call that I really look forward to uh, because it does bring so much joy and so much surprise to the recipient uh, last year it was billy clement in previous years rick peckham i mean, going go right down the list and as president of the broadcasters association uh we have a six-person committee all of whom are already uh media honorees in the hockey hall of fame uh that select uh we take uh Uh, the nominations from around the country, around the world, from everybody. It's kind of like the Hockey Hall of Fame, John, that does the same thing. Uh, You write a letter, you can justify uh, who uh, you would like to see in the broadcaster's wing, and we consider it uh, each and every April, uh, which is the timetable for it. And when I called Dan, uh, I was particularly uh, delighted because uh, he and I have something in common, Uh, He was there from day one with the Sharks in 1991, and that's a very admirable and uh, very impressive career, just as I was there from day one in the NHL with the Hartford Whalers. So uh, as far as my uh, part of it was concerned, back in 2004 when I was the recipient, I knew somebody was doing some dastardly deeds behind my back (laughs) when I got a phone call from the great Doc Emrick, who was on our committee at the time. And he said uh, in an inimitable way, Charles, uh, you're not going to be on the call this year. And he's talking – he was the vice president of our organization at the time, the Broadcasters Association. I was still the president and have been since 1986. I I think I've got the longest reign since the – ying dynasty or the ming <laughs> dynasty or something <laughs> but uh, uh so and i love doing it even though i haven't been in the nhl for five years but uh so uh, doc says you're not part of the uh selection process this year and of course we had a lockout that year in 0405 and i said what are you talking about he says just please bear with me uh we have things to discuss and then it turned out about two days later he called me and said you're going to be the recipient you know, it put me in a very uncomfortable position because a, I didn't think I was worthy enough to do it. It was my 25th year in the NHL at the time, and I, uh, I, I just thought there had to be other people that we should have considered ahead of me. Uh, but the committee didn't think so, and I was completely honored by it. And I guess the good thing about having the lockout that 04-05 season, because the uh, ceremony took place in November of 04, was that uh, I was able to. Uh, to see Gordie Howe make a, a surprise uh, appearance at the luncheon that day, along with our owner at the time, Peter Carmanos, and Jim Rutherford, the general manager and president. So all of them were in attendance, and I, I really re- respected the fact that uh, they thought enough of me to, to come to the luncheon and watch the ceremony. So I'll never forget it. And uh, uh, so that's why I'm very happy uh, when Dan gets the honor this year because he is well, very well-deserving of and obviously our committee uh, was unanimous in their selection.
0: Yeah, you know, uh, he also indicated to me when I talked to him last week that uh, he felt very humbled by it as well. You know, he, uh, he mentioned that it was a dream come true, and, uh, you know, he's very excited about uh, going up there to Toronto and uh, receiving the award, and I guess it's going to be part of a, a big luncheon up there. So uh, it, it's great to see a guy like that uh, who's put in his time and also is humbled by the award uh, receiving it.
1: Absolutely, John. And it will be for those who are interested uh, in uh, when it's going to take place. It's going to be on Monday, November the 13th at noontime. And uh, Gary Bettman comes, Bill Daly comes from the NHL, uh, along with, of course, uh, Lanny McDonald, who is the chairman of the Hockey Hall of Fame. Uh, He is there along with uh, various broadcasters uh, who have won the award in the past. And the most impressive one, and I think you'll agree with this, John, is uh, Brian McFarlane of Hockey Night in Canada. Oh, yes, uh, yes. And and of Hardy Boys fame, because his father was the uh, uh, author of all the Hardy Boys novels that uh, kids used to uh, read back in the 30s and 40s. And uh, he is still kicking. He's 90-some years old, and he's got all his faculties, and he shows up every year at the luncheon to honor our uh, broadcaster he uh, lives in the Toronto area and uh, is looking great every year. I mean, he's an uh, extremely impressive guy as is Dick Irvin, who is 90 years young, uh, living up in Montreal, the former uh, Canadians broadcaster who worked with Danny Gallivan for years. And, and uh, it's just wonderful to see these people when I come up uh, to do my duty to, uh, uh, say some uh, things about uh, the honoree and how he was selected. So Dan's going to have a great time. He and his family, I'm assuming, is going to come. Uh, I haven't seen the shark schedule. I don't know if he's going to have to miss a game, but it's going to be on Monday the 13th of November, and I'm sure uh, it's not going to bother him much. I don't know if he's missed any games. I know he had a car accident once uh, a few years ago. Uh, but, uh, uh, I mean, it will be well worth missing a game or two to – Uh, to see uh, what's going to happen with him in terms of the uh – uh, of the ceremony that uh, will be uh, taking place that day. Yeah, he
0: told me he does not have a game that day, but he's got to fly oh. out. He's got to fly out the next morning to go back to the Bay Area because the Sharks will host. <laughs> Sharks will host the Florida Panthers on the next night, so uh, he'll get oh. some. He'll get some mileage in, uh, but uh, I'm sure it's going to be something he's really going to enjoy. Chuck, uh, I want to talk to you briefly about uh, the recent passing of Rick the uh, former longtime voice of the Buffalo Sabers, uh, certainly an icon in the NHL broadcasting business. Very much loved out there in Western New York. I know you had many opportunities to uh, visit with Rick and chat with him, but I'd like to get your thoughts and your perspective on Rick uh, as a broadcaster and as a as a human being, and uh, also the degree of loss that the NHL community will feel.
1: Well, I think uh, John, it goes it goes without say, saying that he was Mr. Saber. Uh, I mean, you could go all right down the list of players from the past from. Gilbert Perot or uh, Pat LaFontaine or Dominic Hasek and all the great players that have gone through Buffalo but when you mention the Sabres and even general manager Kevin Adams said it best who grew up in Clarence, New York listening uh, to Rick, uh, Rick Generette was the Buffalo Sabres and I had the distinct pleasure of knowing him for 45 of the 51 years that he broadcast games. Wow. Uh, because we became friends instantly in 1979 uh, when uh, the Whalers joined the NHL. And, of course, in 1981, uh, they became divisional rivals uh, in the old Adams division, along with the Bruins, the Nordiques, and the Canadians. Right. And so we got to see Rick at least eight times a year in those early days in the 80s. And so I got to... Uh, really get to know him we used to have a, a molson beer he used to sponsor a nhl slow pitch tournament in niagara falls which is uh, where uh, rick was living niagara falls ontario even though he's from st Catharines, he was living in niagara falls i don't think people realize that he would always come from niagara falls ontario to buffalo for the home games you'd wow. always have to come across the border and of course it was a lot simpler to cross the border back then uh before 9-11 uh, so he would get in his car as soon as the game ended and m- m- hightail it into the parking lot so he could get across the Peace Bridge to drive home before his colleagues, I think Jim Lorenz was one of them, and uh, uh, Mike Robitaille and other guys that worked with him, would be doing the postgame show, and he'd be home before the post game <laughs> show ended. <laughs> that was one of the great stories. And if, if I may, I'd like to tell another story that I think People would love to hear about Rick. Please do. Rick used to, you know, he used to imbibe a little bit of alcoholic uh, fruits. So, uh, and sometimes it was done during games, believe it or not. So, in the old uh, Hartford Civic Center, our uh, press box before it was in the catwalk, it was moved up to the catwalk somewhere in the mid 80s. But before that, we used to be in the seats in the last row of the lower level, and then there was a walkway behind us. So every time the sabers came into town we were in section 114 and the visitors were in section 117 a couple of sections down but we were at the same level and fans had access to us so every time the sabers played in hartford there were a lot of buffalo fans that would come want to visit with rick and some of them brought him beer during the game (laughs) so he could (laughs) drink during the broadcast (laughs) now i know this sounds crazy in 2023 but if you're looking at 1981 or 82 or 83, 40 years ago, things were a lot different. Uh, Jim Gordon, for example, a ranger announcer with uh, Bill Chadwick, they used to drink on the air doing ranger games. Uh, and not, I'm not saying, you know, five or six beers, but I'm just saying they just you know took the edge off a little bit. Uh, <laughs> these were the days that you could do these kinds of things that even smoke cigars in the building, which I actually did in press boxes uh, wow. for years. Wow. until they, but you know, banned smoking in arenas. So, uh, so it was a different lifestyle. So one night, he set a beer in front of him as he's doing the game, and a, a disgruntled Whaler fan was listening to him, reached up right during the play, grabbed his beer, and without missing a beat, Generette was doing the game. He goes, uh, uh you know, Dale McCourt feeds over to Brett Peterson, and somebody stole my beer. <laughs> right on the, he, he, he said that right on the air, and and I just fell off my chair when I heard about it. But uh, Saber fans were telling me they heard that game, and uh that was a different time. You know, I mean, you don't see that type of thing anymore because obviously we're in press boxes that are a mile high in every arena. You don't right. have any contact with the fans, but uh, it was a different time, but Rick Jenneret was a lovely person. You just talked about how he uh, uh, was a, a better person than he was a broadcaster, and I, it, I can vouch for that. Always a terrific uh, person. Sometimes was a little uh, uh, shall I say gruff or rough around the edges at times, but he he never was with uh, his colleagues, but he once you got to know Rick Jenner, right, you loved him because he was uh, such a, a wonderful human being. And I am so lucky, uh, I don't know if you realize this, but last November the Buffalo Sabres came to Carolina, and uh, one of their promotions, they go to a different city every year, and they have a Buffalo-themed, uh, they want the team's uh, fans from that city to come out and, uh, and uh, come to a local restaurant. So they came to Raleigh to Buffalo Brothers Restaurant. It was a uh, chicken wings place here. Okay. And they set it up. Uh, they were in Nashville, I believe, the year before. But last November, the night before the Sabres played here, uh, Rick came in uh, with several other uh, alumni players, Rob Ray and uh, Marty Biron and uh, the broadcast crew uh, and others, and they had 800 people come in and out of that restaurant in a three-hour period wow. to get the autograph. of And Rick Jenneret was there, and I am so glad that I went to see him, and I stayed with him for the whole three hours right next to him as he's signing autographs, being cordial to every fan that came up and told him that they always listened to him. They went to bed listening. I mean, every story that fans had, they were just like little kids. and you're ta- I'm talking kids that were in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. That all came up to Rick, and he was so uh, gracious with all of them uh, in Raleigh last year. And I'll never forget it. I was so glad I went because now he's gone.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I know that uh, some of his most iconic calls involved Pat LaFontaine. You know, if you go on uh, YouTube now, you can see him kind of comedically calling uh, some of LaFontaine's goals. And the Buffalo fans and the listeners really loved him for it.
1: Yeah, they did. Uh, We broke his heart one year. I have to admit, in '06, uh, Eastern Conference Final, and I gave him a little bit of a jab on this one because he was leading a pep rally before Game Six of the series, uh, and uh, it was in Buffalo. And Martin Gerber pitched a shutout in that game. And uh, uh, again, you know, they were trying to rally the troops, and they used Rick Generett as the uh, the cheerleader outside of uh, HSBC Arena, and I said, hey. You know what is are the code of ethics here? You're supposed to be impartial. I was kidding with him, and of course he never was, and it never had to be because Rick was uh, the Buffalo Sabres. I mean, you invest 51 years uh, in an organization. Uh, that's very admirable, and that's something that uh, I know I wish I could have uh, done. But uh, he did it so well, and represented the team so so well. At, uh, Uh, just a terrific person. I I was so happy to know him
0: without a doubt. Now I thought we'd talk about uh, some of the other uh, classic broadcasters that you've had a chance to, to work with over the years. And uh, uh, the first name that comes to mind is uh, Gene Hart, who did the Philadelphia flyers games for uh, so many years. And, uh, He is as much a part of Flyers culture as anyone. I had Lou Nolan on uh, last month, the Flyers uh, PA announcer, and he had some wonderful things to say about Gene, and I imagine uh, that that you you do as well.
1: Oh, absolutely. I can't believe it's almost been 23 or 24 years since he's been gone. Uh, uh, He started out very modestly. uh, (laughs) Back in the 12-team NHL when the Flyers came into the league in 67, apparently they couldn't pay – full-time money to a broadcaster so he had to teach uh and also broadcast games and i know it evolved into a full-time job after that but when he was there in 67 from day one uh with the flyers it was kind of a part-time job at the time and uh, he again uh became synonymous with the team and uh, the call that I'll never forget uh, that Gene had was the Flyers win the Stanley Cup. The Flyers win the Stanley Cup. You know, the first time they did it uh, against Buffalo, 74, uh, and uh, it was quite an accomplishment. And he, he was another terrific – you know, he was a renaissance man, uh, John. Yep. He wasn't just a hockey announcer and a sports fan in general, but he loved the opera. He loved the arts. Uh, obviously he raised a daughter that was extremely talented, uh, Lauren, who, uh, sang and still sings the Anthem, uh, at Flyers games and sings, God bless America. And, uh, so he was kind of an eclectic sort. And that's what I found very interesting about him. And he was also a great guy who would always give you a statistic. I mean, the biggest thing when the Flyers and the Whalers got together, uh, and, of course, we were almost uh, joined at the hip because of the relationship between the Flyers' owner, Ed Snyder, and the Hurricanes' managing partner at the time, Howard Baldwin, who used to be the Flyers' ticket manager uh, back in the 60s. So Snyder and Baldwin always had a close relationship, and uh, the two teams were so synergistic that you'll remember in the 82-83 season they both wore the Cooperalls.
2: Oh, yeah, uh, the yeah. The
1: hockey pants that uh, they thought were was going to be a new trend the long pants that lasted one season and that was it. Right. But It was Philadelphia and Hartford who were the two teams, of course, that uh, wore those, uh, Cooper for one season. But, but Gene Hart, again, was one of those guys that, uh, you can't forget. I mean, because he had so many other interests other than being a hockey broadcaster.
0: Let me ask you about the guys here in Boston, uh, Chuck. First of all, uh, Fred Cusick, who was one of my absolute role models. Uh, I grew up uh, watching Fred and uh, in the late 60s, early 70s when I was very young. And uh, Fred had a long, long career here in Boston and uh, he had a few broadcast uh, colleagues uh, that he worked with over the years. Johnny Pearson, of course, being one of the most famous, but he also did games with Derek Sanderson over the years. And I I wonder if you could share a few thoughts about Fred.
1: Freddie was the introvert's introvert, I think, <laughs> uh, is the best way to describe him. I, I of course, spoke with him. He was, uh, you know, to himself quite a bit. Uh, he was a very quiet and genteel man who I had a lot of respect for because I loved the way he broadcast games. Because in Hartford, as you could imagine, we picked up WSBK on our cable uh the early 80s we had cable at my house uh, north of hartford and of course uh the the bruins station uh, the on the air station wsbk uh, tv 38 in boston came in and that's where i always watched him Uh, and as you said johnny pearson the old furniture salesman
2: (laughs) uh, actually
1: my my father-in-law and sister-in-law met Johnny Pearson at the furniture show in North Carolina years ago. Wow. Uh, he, yeah, because he, uh, my father-in-law owned a furniture store in southwestern Michigan taken over by his daughter, my, my wife's sister. And so they both met Johnny Pearson. They knew uh, because they called me and said, do you know this guy named Johnny Pearson? He says he's a, he was an old hockey player. I said, yeah, he's the color man for uh, the Boston Bruins back at the, in those days. So anyway, it's a small world. But Freddie Cusick, uh, again, was uh, the thing I always remember about him. Between periods when they'd go back to the studio, uh, he would pick up his favorite book at the time and start reading it in the (laughs) intermission. Wow. And just, you know, he never really interacted with anybody. You know know the catwalk, because you know you've broadcasted the Civic Center in Hartford, you know, the the catwalk. And we're right next to him. But he never really would engage you in conversation, which was fine. But he was a nice, gentlest man And and I thought a very terrific broadcaster, too, in his own right. He he had a very unique style, uh, totally New England, totally ruins-oriented, and really fit for that organization for so many years.
0: Yeah, now let's talk about the radio guy, uh, Bob Wilson. Who uh, you know, when I worked in California with the Sharks, I did security at the uh, at the broadcast area, and I remember yeah. when when the Bruins would come to town, uh, Bob Wilson was there. He was doing games with Johnny Busick on the radio, and I remember Bob uh, talking to Dan Rusinowski and asking him a few questions. And I, I had my head turned, and then I hear this big booming voice. Of Boston skates left to right in the first period, and it was just, it was just so so great to see him uh, and put you know that face to the name but bob's another guy that i listened to for many years and i'm sure you've got a story or two about mr wilson
1: absolutely now i'm going to give you my three stars in terms of voices
0: you All
2: know, right.
1: just pure voices bob wilson has to be the number one best voice of hockey just the pure voice mm-hmm. as you said that that booming voice of his his style I always admired him, and he kind of took me under his wing, too, because, you know, he was a little older than I was when I came into the NHL, and uh, he was like a father figure to me, and, and again, just like Rick Jenneret we would see him eight times a year being in the same division, so I always had a lot of respect for uh, for Bob and for Johnny who I got to know very, very well as well. They were like, oh, they were like the odd couple, though, uh, when you remember them working together because Bob used to like to smoke. As I said, I used to have cigars yeah. once in a while. Well, Bob used to smoke cigarette after cigarette during a game, and maybe that's how he ended up with the uh, the, the voice that he had. But my three stars, voice-wise, were Bob Wilson, Dan Kelly, and Danny Gallivan, were the three that I thought distinctively my favorite voices of all time, just the pure style, their voices. But Bob Wilson was a guy who I hated to see leave when he did because under the circumstances of the lockout uh, of 1994, uh, I don't know if you know this story, but uh, when they uh, locked uh, out the players uh, in that 94-95 season, at least for part of the year, and, of course, they started in January of 95, uh, a lot of the radio stations and television stations were in a quandary because this was the first real uh, stoppage uh, and a work stoppage the NHL ever saw, other than that, what, two-week strike they had in 92 over bubblegum cards or something that the players walked out. Uh, That got solved very quickly. But the 94 lockout, really knocked Bob Wilson for a loop because they never paid him. He worked for the radio station at the time. I think it was EEI or HDH, one of the stations, and they did not want to pay him. So he said, well, I I quit because he didn't, you know, being an old schooler like he was, uh, I don't blame him because uh, he he thought the players were greedy, the owners were greedy, and they couldn't even take care of their broadcasters. Well, I was lucky because they paid me during that time period. And that was the first year, by the way, that uh, Peter Carmanis owned the Whalers. So they didn't owe me anything, although I did have a contract and worked for the team. But when you worked for the radio station, you were in peril because you were at the whim of the general manager of the station. And if they weren't uh, having any income come in, uh, it was hard for them to – they basically laid Bob Wilson off, and he ended up quitting. And when the season started again, Bob Newmeyer took over, if you'll recall. Yeah,
0: absolutely. As, as the announcer
1: yeah. in that 95 portion of the season. But Bob – was a man of ethics. Bob was a, uh, again, an excellent broadcaster. And again, another uh, member of, uh, of the Foster Hewitt Club. You know, the uh, of the Hockey Hall of Fame.
0: Absolutely. We're uh, chatting with Chuck Caton, former voice of the Hartford Whalers and the Carolina Hurricanes. You're listening to airing it out, files from Leahy's broadcast booth. A couple of other names I thought I'd throw out at you, Chuck. Uh, one of them was the longtime voice of the Washington Capitals, Ron Weber, who uh, I listened to also uh, many times. We got WTOP very uh, clearly up here in Massachusetts. Ron seemed to be one of the most detailed broadcasters uh to ever uh, broadcast hockey, and and I really enjoy listening to Capitals games on a regular basis with him.
1: You're right, John. Detailed is an understatement. I mean, if you wanted to know uh, how many goals Dennis Marouk scored on Thursdays when it
2: rained,
1: <laughs> yeah. Ron would be able to tell you. Uh, and I don't mean that in a, uh, uh, a carving way. I mean that very endearingly because – You're right. Uh, When it came to statistics, I call Ron Weber the baseball announcer of hockey because he approached uh, his job much like a baseball broadcaster does. I mean, when you listen to a broadcast in baseball, you're talking numbers all the time. You know, 15 homers, 35 runs batted in, a 360 average, whatever, on-base percentage of 800 or whatever. You know, it's all numbers. And and Ron was very, very good at bringing that to the listener. And I think a lot of his listeners really enjoyed the intricacies of the statistical uh, aspect of hockey, which really wasn't... uh, Uh, mastered by too many broadcasters at the time. I think uh, esoterically, hockey announcers are known for being exciting, uh, bringing you the moment, you know, painting the picture. But Ron added to it, I think, by the statistical end of it. And he found that to be, and if you knew Ron's uh, personality, it fit exactly with what uh, his personality was. And he's still around. I mean, he's got to be pushing 90 years of age now right. and still uh, living up in Wheaton, Maryland. Uh, I talked to him from time to time. And uh, another guy who had a unique style and actually fell into the job. Uh, he was doing CBS uh, sports reports, you know, uh, uh, sportscasts across the CBS radio network. That's where I first heard about him. When I worked in Madison, Wisconsin, my station was a CBS affiliate, and Ron Weber would come out on the weekends and do the scores you know, that when CBS would have like five-minute sports reports. Um, So I I never dreamed I would ever meet him. And he was a very interesting guy and a a guy who, uh, again, really was Mr. Stats when it came to hockey broadcasting. And, again, the the Capitals really take care of him uh, very well. He goes to any game he wants to go. He still has a lot of enthusiasm for – uh, the team. And I was happy for him because I think they gave him a Stanley cup ring back in 2018. From what I understand. Awesome. awesome. Uh, even though he was gone for I know, how many years he had been retired, but, uh, yeah, he, uh, the capitals took care of him. Uh, Ted Leonsis, uh, Treated him very well and never forgot the past with uh, Ron Weber. Yeah, and I remember. A terrific guy. Yeah,
0: I remember he had a an in between periods feature called Capitals Mailbag, where he used yeah. to read uh, letters from uh, fans. Of course, there was no email back then, and I remember him reading my letter on the air one time. And oh, uh, did he? Yeah, yeah, and I got sent a couple of Washington Capitals tickets, and I took the Amtrak train down and I went to the game. So that was a big thrill.
1: That's unbelievable. You know, I had a friend, I mean, Dave McNabb, who, you know, Max McNabb was the general manager of the Capitals for a number of
2: years. Yep, yep.
1: Uh, his son, David, who was the assistant general manager in Anaheim and actually worked uh, as a scout with the owners uh, uh, before he went out to Anaheim in 1993. Uh, he and I always joke because David went to Wisconsin, and he was our third goalie when I was broadcasting there. Yep. And uh, Dave would always say, well, Ron Weber, I love the Capitals' mailbag, uh, feature because he always uh, prefaces every uh, letter that he reads with "Ron, you're a great announcer. I love listening <laughs> to you." And then he goes into the question. And Dave and I would always have a chuckle about that because he would like uh, uh, kind of get that one in there that uh, you know maybe he was trying to impress the bosses for a, a raise or something. But uh, Dave pointed that out to me once, and then when I started listening to Capital's Mailbag myself, because you're right, D O P signal came into New England quite well. I used to listen to him quite a bit, too. And every time he'd answer a question, it would always be, well, thank you, John. I, uh, Mr. Leahy, uh, thanks for your comments. You, know, you probably said the same thing to him in your letter. You know, <laughs> yeah. I enjoy listening to him. I did even read that. I mean, you didn't have to read that part, but it was always amusing to Dave McNabb. And we always had a chuckle about that, how he'd always uh, mention that before he actually got into the meat of the question.
0: Yeah, and I I think I wrote uh, in the letter uh, something like, Boston loves you or something like that. And he read that, and he was all excited. Uh, So uh, that that was pretty cool. Uh, Another guy that I listened to, Chuck, growing up uh, was on WJR in Detroit. Bruce Martin uh, did play-by-play for the Red Wings with Paul Woods for many, many years. I'll tell you, Bruce was an icon. He was about as loved in Detroit as Ernie Harwell was, wasn't he?
1: Oh, I think so. Uh, You know, he began uh, his uh, Red Wing career with Bud Lynch, uh, who then became the PR director of the Red Wings later. Uh, But Bruce is still around, too. He was living in Florida. But Ken Cal, who's the current uh, radio broadcaster of the Red Wings, told me that Bruce moved back to Michigan last year uh, when I visited with Ken uh, this summer, when I went to visit my sister. Um, So Bruce is still kicking. And, yeah, he uh, he had a unique style himself that uh, has been – uh, imitated by a couple of different guys. If you listen to Ken Cal, he's got a little Bruce Martin in him. Yeah, if right. You to Tim's. Yeah, and if you listen to Tim Saunders, uh, Tim Saunders of Philadelphia, who grew up in Gross Point, Michigan, uh, under the influence of uh, Bruce Martin, he also stylistically because they get when they when the goal is scored, they they kind of uh, the, the voice uh, octave uh, jumps. He scores. Right, you
2: know, right. And, and,
1: And so Timmy does that, and so does Ken. And I don't think they do it. I think they were just influenced by uh, listening to Bruce because Bruce was a very unique, and Bruce was another terrific uh, person uh, that I got to know uh, extremely well. And, of course, he, uh, you know, we had a a close bond because he knew I was from Detroit, and I used to listen to him as a kid myself. And, uh, And another one of those guys with a terrific voice, by the way.
0: Absolutely. Now, you touched on Dan Kelly earlier, and I have to bring him up. Uh, of course, legendary play-by-play voice of the St. Louis Blues also did uh, network hockey. He called the uh, Stanley Cup final between the Bruins and the Blues uh, with uh, Bobby Orr's iconic uh, goal that won the Cup for the Bruins. But uh, really, uh, Chuck, you can't say enough about Dan Kelly and the contributions he made to the NHL and broadcasting, can you?
1: You know, absolutely. Again, one of my three stars, voice-wise, uh, in the NHL, Bob Wilson, Dan Kelly, Danny Gallivan, and Dan Kelly uh, was a particularly uh, influential broadcaster. I mean, I really enjoyed watching him on CBS, listening to him on the Blues games. Now, when I lived in Madison, and they were on uh, uh, KMOX in St. Louis, we got KMOX's signal extremely well back in the late 70s when I worked at the University of Wisconsin broadcast and always and I never knew I would ever meet this man and all of a sudden in 1978 I had one year as it turned out it was my last year at Wisconsin I wrote a letter and I sent a tape to uh to Dan because I said you know I, I would love to be in the NHL someday and I want to get a critique from somebody I really respect so I sent this tape, a reel-to-reel tape, to Dan Kelly, and about three weeks later, I get a letter back from him. Wow! Uh, and and he outlines everything that he liked about my tape and gave me a lot of encouragement. And he also added in that letter, which I still have today, by the way. Jack Puck, Buck listened to it too. He says I uh, I let. Jack, yeah, Buck listened to this, and I listened to it, and we both agree you have a future in the NHL. Wow. Now, he didn't have to say that, but he wrote back. And within a three-week period of time, I get a letter that's got CBS, KMOX, and I just fell off my chair, John. Yeah, I can and, imagine. And, it's, and it's, Yeah, that's, that's the kind of thing that keeps you going, uh, memories that I have prior to coming into the NHL myself. And then when I met Dan Kelly for the first time, when we played the Blues for the first time in 79, I brought that story up to him, and I didn't expect him to remember because he probably got thousands of tapes from people or interactions, fan mail, so to speak, because everybody loved him. He was a terrific broadcaster. And then I said, you know what? You made a dream come true for me. I just want to let you know that you were my favorite broadcaster as a kid, uh, and, and it's just an honor to meet you. And he was so cordial and so nice, and he died too young. Can you imagine he was 52 years old back in 89? I mean, yeah. it, it was just so sad. And every time I see John Kelly, who is now the voice of the St. Louis Blues, his son, I always remind John, you know, I think about your dad. Every time I see you, I think about your father and how much I loved him. And uh, John really appreciates that, and uh, he's another terrific guy.
0: Absolutely. and you know uh, when I when the time comes that I do get to meet you face to face, you know I'm going to express those similar sentiments. I mean uh, you were a big uh, influence on me uh, listening on uh, WTIC here in Massachusetts. So I'm looking forward to that opportunity when I have a chance to tell you that in person. So I just wanted right, to
1: I appreciate that. I, you never know. I may come up to a Merrimack do they, uh, you have to send me the schedule. And see if I can make it up for a game. Uh, absolutely, or absolutely. Maybe a UConn or something. You guys play UConn, right? Uh,
0: yeah, we don't travel on the road anymore. So, um, uh, oh. we yeah, we just do the home games. Uh, but yeah, I will. I would hap. I would happily uh, share that with you. Uh, so I'm thrilled to have that. Yeah,
1: it. I could make a trip up there. Yeah, that's uh, that's certainly a possibility. You never know. It's 95 degrees as we do this
0: podcast here in Raleigh. And so. it's the same here, by the way. It's just as warm <laughs> that, up here.
1: <laughs> it's crazy. So I'm looking for a little cooler fall weather.
0: All right. Well, you, you, I, it goes without saying you're absolutely welcome at any time. I, I wanted to also ask you about Danny Gallivan, because there's another guy that you uh, truly looked up to, and uh, I, know, I know you have some great stuff stories about Danny as well
1: absolutely first time I ever did a game in the Montreal Forum was in uh, December December 1st was the date it's funny you remember these things because they're so impressionable to you December 1st of 79 we had just played Pittsburgh the night before in Springfield flew into Montreal and uh, you know obviously uh, the team the Hurricanes or the Whalers were not going to skate because they had played the day before but I had to go to the Montreal Forum and go to the Canadians' practice. I had to. So, uh, you know, wanting to, uh, as I did, uh, I was like a little kid in a candy store going to Yankee Stadium, for example. So I go in the back door. um, Claude Mouton, who was the PR director, was actually at the back door at the press gate. And I introduced myself to him. He said, sure, we know who you are now, you know, because the press list was set up by the Whalers people. So I walk in about an hour and a half before practice. That's how eager I was to get into the forum. So I got there around 9 o'clock in the morning for a 10 o'clock, 10.30 skate. Oh, yeah. Now, guess who was in the stands before me? Danny Gallivan. Wow. He was already in the arena sitting there. And now I'm thinking, well, I can't avoid him. I've got to go and meet him because, uh, you know, and, and uh, not the uh, not even uh, thinking of him as a colleague, never mind. I still think of him as an idol, all right? Yeah. So I go sheepishly up to him, and I introduce myself. And he says, oh, young man. You know how Danny Gallivan used to talk. He was so uh, yeah. literate, and he had such... Uh, mell- mellifluous tones and his uh, language was uh, just so uh, uh, he just had a vocabulary that was uh, aces I mean he was just and he says yes young man I uh, I know who you are because I listen to you all the time and that, that floored fun.
0: you yeah.
1: that floored me because yeah. WTIC signal and he lived in Nunn's Island he was in a little apartment St. Lawrence River Nuns Island, Quebec, it's a little island uh, right in the St. Lawrence, and he used to listen to broadcasts from all over that he could get. He could get, like you said, WJR, KDKA, WBZ, you know, all the 50,000-watt stations that the teams were on, uh, and he listened to WTIC because he was preparing for the game. He listened to the Pittsburgh game the night before and other games, and... Man, oh, man, you know, the way that would make you feel, I'll never forget it. And, of course, uh, he, uh, he only did one game in Hartford, John, and it was a playoff game in, in the 80s uh, season uh, when we lost three straight to the Canadians our first year. Uh, the first, it was a best of five. We lost our first two games in Montreal, and then game three went into overtime. And Danny Gallivant's only appearance at the Hartford Civic Center was that Game Three on Hockey Night in Canada. Wow! Um, so I didn't get to see him too much as a colleague. Because and then every time we would go to Montreal, he retired shortly after that, and then I think he passed away in the late or the middle 80s. So uh, I was fortunate enough to uh, to meet him before his passing, and he was a true gentleman. Wow.
0: Uh, we have time for maybe one or two quick ones here, uh, Chuck. Uh, let's, okay. Let me throw Pat Foley at you because uh, he was uh, the voice of the Chicago Blackhawks for many years. I know he worked with Dale Town and I met him out in uh, San Francisco once when the Blackhawks came uh, to San Jose. And he seemed like a very colorful guy and certainly a guy that is uh, a big part of Blackhawks culture
1: absolutely and uh he didn't listen to his father which was good news and what i mean by that is his dad wanted him to get into the car business uh because on the north side of chicago there was a place called foley motor sales all right uh, his, his dad sold new and used cars and he wanted pat to get in after college and he went to uh, the wrong school in michigan i always like to say michigan state so uh uh, he goes and then goes to work in Grand Rapids, but he wanted to always become a hockey announcer. Mm-hmm. So uh, he started in Grand Rapids with the Owls, and then about a year or two later, he sent a tape to the Blackhawks, uh, and, and basically, it was be- believe it or not, it was at his dad's insistence, because his dad sold cars to the Wurtzes.
0: Oh, wow. And okay. A-
1: yeah, this, yeah. A- this was a connection. And yeah. He had no idea, so... His dad calls him one day and says, "Send me a tape uh, on a set." and Pat says, "What do you you know you want me to go in the car business? You don't want me to be an announcer. What are you doing uh, helping me?" you know but yeah. he says, "Just, just never mind, just send me a tape." So he, uh, Pat sends his dad a tape. The dad says, "I hear you're looking for a, a broadcaster. My son's a hockey announcer here listen to this awesome. at your leisure and that's how he got the job back in 19, I believe it was 1980. The year after I came to the Whalers, he, was, he came to the Blackhawks. And then we became, we were friends for all those years. Another uh, wonderful human being, a uh, guy who, uh, you know, lived and breathed Blackhawk hockey. And it was good to see him get a bounce back, too, because he, you know, was let go by uh, Bill Wirtz And then uh, the late Rocky Wirtz brought him back three years later and that was very justified because he was the voice of the Blackhawks, always will be. It isn't the same. He still should be working, in my opinion. And uh, so uh, an unceremonious ending for his career as well, even though he won't tell you that. But uh, he, uh, again, iconic and another guy who uh, justifiably received the Foster Hewitt Award. I love Pat Foley. Good man.
0: Yes, Chuck. And uh, the last guy I'm going to talk about, uh, we had his son on uh, about a month or two ago. Uh, Kenny Albert was with us. And his father, Marv, of course, uh, did hockey for many years with uh, the New York Rangers. I remember listening to Ranger games up here. And Marv would work with Sal Redlight Messina on the broadcast that that was marv's uh uh name for sal as they worked uh, together for many years but uh, marv certainly did a lot of sports but i paid a lot of attention to his hockey broadcast and you know he's known for basketball play-by-play chuck but you can't deny uh, Marv and what he brought to the nhl and the rangers
1: absolutely true and uh, he's another guy who uh, i met the first time i went into madison square garden it was in october of 79 And we were in the press room and having dinner, and he's right across me at the buffet, and we're each getting salads. And uh, I introduced myself to him, and he couldn't have been a nicer guy. I'd listened to him for years as well, uh, especially Ranger games that we would get on WNBC when I lived in Hartford. Uh, So it was a treat to meet him as well. And, of course, Kenny was just a little 12- or 13-year-old kid uh, uh, the one story I have about Marv Albert was, as you said, he did basketball and hockey. So we were coming in, uh, to LA into the Marriott, uh, near the airport and the Knicks were in town to play the Lakers that night. So it, uh, about 4:30 in the afternoon, we check into the hotel and who comes running out of his room, uh, to catch a cab, to go to the forum in Inglewood? It's Marv Albert. Oh, and I see this little wow. kid running behind him. And who the heck is that? And then somebody told me, well, that's little—that's his son, little Kenny. He's a statistician. He brings him on the road once in a while, right, you know, right. for a father-son thing. So I actually saw Kenny Albert as a 12 or 13-year-old kid. And, he does, and when I brought that story hmm. up to Kenny, he actually remembered that wow. because the Whalers were one of his favorite teams. His favorite teams were the Whalers and the Canucks when he was a kid. He could listen to the Whalers games, which he told me often, and he, for some reason, loved the Canucks jerseys. So here he is sitting on Long Island uh, listening to his radio as a kid, and he was running right behind his dad. They were, I guess they were late to catch a cab or something to go to the, the forum for the basketball game the night before that we played there against the Kings. So uh, that's, uh, that's my little Kenny and uh, Marv story. Uh, but Marv Albert was a very talented. Uh, obviously, goes without saying that uh, you know he was the king of New York, and uh, not bad for a guy that started out as the Knicks ball boy.
0: Absolutely, and I should mention one last thing. And uh, I'm doing. I was doing some uh, some games uh, for a uh, USHL team, the Bridgewater Bandits. I still do that on the side, and I had a chance to to talk via Zoom with Jigs McDonald. And uh, I, I had a funny story. I met Jiggs at the uh, Cow Palace also, of course, when the Islanders played the Sharks. And I remember addressing him as Mr. McDonald, and, and he wondered how I knew his name. And, and I did that with all the announcers. I even did that with you. Uh, I called you Mr. Caton and you're like, oh, how did, how did you know who I was? But you, that's that's the passion I had for the business. But uh, yeah. long story short, uh, you know, me, talking to Jiggs, uh, he he was talking to me like he had known me all his life. He, he's a real professional. And of course, he started with the Atlanta Flames. right
1: he absolutely did Uh, well actually before that the LA Kings because he started with the Kings in 67 and then he got into a uh, a situation with Jack Kent Cook their uh, owner at the time and uh, was there for five years and then went to the uh, flames in the expansion of 72 when the uh, flames came in with the New York Islanders so he actually started with the Kings and one of the things, when he gets hired by Jack Kent Cook, Jack Kent Cooke uh, was a little eccentric. So when he sat uh, uh, Jiggs down, uh, he says, what is your name, young man? Well, my name's Kenneth McDonald. I'm Ken McDonald. Yep. And he says, no, you're not. You're going to be known as Jiggs from now on because <laughs> we have to have people with catchy names so that we can be on the map. And it was a cartoon character, Jigs and something, that he'd seen, that Jack and Cook had seen, and he thought people could relate to this. So it says, from now on, you're Jigs McDonald. That's not. McDonald said, okay, so you're paying my salary, so I guess what you say goes. So that's how he became uh, named Jigs. But uh, uh, Mr. Kenny McDonald is a terrific guy and uh, is uh, living up. Uh, I mean, his claim to fame was he went to high school with Gordon Lightfoot. Wow. Uh, they they wow. were classmates in Aurelia, Ontario. And another thing about him, he worked with, uh, uh, of course, Bernie Jeffrey on in Atlanta. And then, of course, he went to the New York Islanders after that. But uh, he had a great career and another uh, very worthy member of the Foster Hewitt uh, Honoree Club, so to speak. And uh, I'd love to see Jiggs come down. I know he lives in Florida in the winter, and uh, I haven't seen him in a while. But uh, another guy that I think a lot of uh, who – Uh, was always a gentleman to me. Uh, Again, all of these guys are just terrific people, as you know yourself, John, from having met them all.
0: Absolutely, Chuck. Well, it's been a wonderful experience talking to you again, Chuck. I really enjoyed uh, your perception on, on some of your colleagues, you know, guys that I've listened to for many years. It's wonderful hearing stories and, and really making it uh, relate to real life. So uh, I'm, I'm grateful to you for that. Uh, thank you so much for your time, Chuck. I look forward to having you on again. And, uh, again, thanks so much. I truly appreciate it.
1: My pleasure, John. I always enjoy talking to you, and I don't know where the time goes, but that was the quickest 55 minutes uh, of my life. Uh, (laughs) I don't have many of them left, so uh, we'll keep it up, though. It's it's always great to talk to you.
0: Thank you, Chuck. Uh, The pleasure is mine. Don't forget, next week we're going to talk Hockey East. We're going to preview the Hockey East Conference. We're going to look at all 11 men's teams. That's coming up next week, and we invite you to stay with us. You've been listening to Airing It Out, Files from Leahy's Broadcast Booth, and thanks, as always, for tuning in we yeah.